You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. This is the beginning of a three-part series on uh, families and idolatry. And, um, you know, it's funny because when you hear this word idolatry, I can remember as a kid going through the Ten Commandments, and, you know, the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no gods above me, um, no other gods besides me. And I can remember kind of thinking, you know, this, this image here um, that we get from, that we get from uh, Gladiator, right? Well, not that image. Hold on now. Yeah, speaking of idols, what's going on here? Nothing else matters. What just happened? It's our Woodford way. Yeah, well. You showed that transformation of tree, I think. Shoot, yeah, that's right. That's right. What is going on? Totally blanked out here. Rat, man. Yeah, I know. This is, this is a problem. Crud. Martin, I might need you here, pal. Martin, clap in, in the house. I just don't know what's going on. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna teach. And uh, can you fix this? Can you fix this? Because I, I, I really, I really, yeah, I'm gonna need you. No pressure here. I just don't know what happened. Just the screen went black. This is a brand new computer. Yeah, great. That's, of course it is. Okay. Well, while Martin is fixing my computer, here, you want to take it? Yeah. I'm, okay, I'm going to need it because I've got uh, the slideshow is kind of integral to the whole talk. <laughs> 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 All right. God bless you. Thanks, Martin. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, anyhow, so... Basically, you know, this was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the movie Gladiator from, I don't know, like 20 years ago. And, uh, and there's a scene where the main character, you know, has these little wooden figures that he's bowing down before and he's worshiping. And we kind of have this idea, you know, kind of this classic image of idolatry. We kind of have this idea when we hear the first commandment of like, oh, you know, don't, don't get these little figurines and, you know, set them up in your house and worship them. And I can remember as a kid hearing that and being like, psh. Whatever, that's not no problem for me. I've never, I don't have any, I don't have any household gods in my, you know, in my bedroom, so no, not a problem here. But really, when we're talking about idolatry, um, we're talking about taking anything that's good, anything that's of creation, and uh, ascribing to it hope or expectation or regard as if it's God. Um, oh, good job, Martin. Way to go, pal. Whoa. Um, we can, we can. Do, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. There we are. Yeah. Let's just. We're gonna. We're not doing that video. We're not gonna do that video any longer. Thank you so much. Round, can everybody give Martin a round of applause for saving our Sunday school class? <laughs> Woo! Um, buy that man a Miller. Um, anyhow. So anyhow. Uh, so, uh, in, but but in reality, you know, idolatry is really probably our our most common sin. It's the um. It's the most uh, common. It's the most common one that we struggle with, um, and that's why it's number one on the list. Golly, what is going on? Still playing. Okay, got that. Okay, back to business. Technology, don't you love it? Um, okay, so here's the reason why uh, we're doing this series. This, this, the couple stories that 
come out of this. Um, first, as a story, uh, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who's also in ministry, and um, he was really, really anxious about something. He was really angry about something, too. And he said to me, where there's anxiety, there's usually idolatry. Um, where there's anxiety, there's usually idolatry. Where there's anger, there's usually idolatry. And it kind of got me thinking, like, wow, you know, anxiety is so prevalent um, in our lives, particularly in the life of a parent. Um, it's very pervasive in the lives of our kids. And so with that being said, idolatry probably has a lot to, has a lot to do with that. There's probably something that has to do with idolatry at the core of a lot of our anxiety. Um, and so, uh, so that's, I, I think too, I see idolatry rob families of a lot of stuff. A lot of good things that God has on offer for them. I feel like idolatry, um, is really, uh, uh, really steals from us. There's a, um, a, a verse in scripture, I think it's from Jonah. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So when we, there's a trade off, like when, um, we put our hope and our expectation in an idol, something that's good, but something that's not God, uh, we are forfeiting what we could be receiving from the Lord. The grace, the joy, the hope, the peace that could that we could enjoy from the Lord. So um, so that's kind of the story behind this. So the, um, sorry, one of the reasons for this too is uh, idols tend to be generational. They tend to be passed down. And so it's very helpful for you as a parent to be aware of what your idols are um, because otherwise we kind of unconsciously hand them down to our kids. I can... It's funny because I can remember. I know. I know one of my idols, and I actually talk about it in this class. But uh, I, one of my idols, like as a kid, and it still is there for me. And it's kind of silly. Is ac- like academic performance, um, and um, and you know, there's there's this uh, for me in high school. Like getting into a good college that was impressive was my whole life. Like everything revolved around that. And then too, when I find myself insecure, defensive, I want to go back to my degrees from that school as kind of a self-justification, well, blah, 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 and, it's, and it functions like an idol. And then I also, too, like in my stupid moments, I can't believe I'm telling you all this, in my stupid moments, I had this idea of like, oh, man, I wish that Princeton Theological Seminary would uh, have a, a D-men program in youth ministry, because they have a PhD program in youth ministry, but they don't have a D-men program. So I'm like, oh, that'd be so awesome to have a degree from Princeton. Just to, to feel really impressive, right? Okay, it's that academic idol still, you know, still at work there. I know I just threw all my all my cards on the table. <laughs> Other day, I'm in the car talking to somebody, and they were asking me like, "Hey, tell me about the people who are on this board." And I st- and my daughter was in the back seat, and so I'm going through, and I'm like, "Okay, well, this person, like, this is their story, and blah blah blah." And then this person, every single person, I uh, identified them. I, I said what their academic credentials were, in in the way I was describing them. And here's my daughter in the back seat, and she is, I know, I don't know what she's hearing, but I know what I was hearing when I was her age was, hmm, dad seems to really value people who have impressive academic credentials. So in a sense, I kind of caught myself, after the damage was probably done, um, I caught myself being like, oh, look at me. This is how you pass down an idol from one generation to the next. You know, my daughter is hearing the way that I like value this to a disproportionately rational and appropriate extent. And, uh, and, sh- and she is, you know, this could be something that she too jumps into. So anyhow, so it's very helpful for us as adults to be aware of what our idols are because we're prone to hand them down to kids. So the map of where we're going, we're first going to talk about what is idolatry. We're going to look at Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 44. And, um, 
and then and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. We're going to talk about how do we identify idols in our own lives. Uh, so you have a little idol diagnostic chart that <laughs> was on the table here. We may have run out of copies. Um, and then finally, we'll just look very briefly at common idols in the culture. Uh, because we were talking about idolatry in a Bible study. We were doing uh, idol diagnostics. And it was funny. All of this came up with one that was exactly the same. We all came up with money as an idol. And we're like, oh, well, that makes sense because in American culture, money is a huge idol. It makes sense that all of us, in a, you know, in a normal way, um, adopt the same thing. So first, to start out with, uh, what is the you know, definition of idolatry? What is the definition of an idol? Um, an idol is when we regard something that's good as God. When we take something that's a, that's a blessing from the Lord and we then start to have expectations and regard for that thing as it, to a level that's ultimate. Um, and so uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, the way it describes it is, is uh, worshiping creation as if it's the creator, mistaking creation for the creator. And so that's what we're talking about. So, um, and, and that's why idolatry is it's like very subtle and it's, it's kind of hard. Uh, it can be hard to identify and it can be easy to slip into because inherently all idols are based on something that's good. They're based on something that is a gift from the Lord. Think about you know, some of the things that we turn into idols. Things like sports or uh, success or money or sex. These are all good things um, that God gives us. They're a blessing. But we tend to turn them into something that we expect to provide for us and to perform for us in a way that only God can. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about an idol. So we're going to be looking at Isaiah 44. And Isaiah 44... Um, it's, it's really interesting how this text is structured because you have this one-third of the text um, that is, it starts out and it's all about who God is. God is very bold about, you know, I'm your redeemer, I'm your creator, I'm the one who formed you, so on and so forth. Then it goes into idol- this, this really uh, kind of interesting illustration of idolatry and then it ends with who God is. There's a reason for that because God is, you know, in, in this text, God is, in, there's an intentional we call it a chiasmatic juxtaposition. Basically, um, God is bracketing in idols with a reminder of who he is on both sides. He begins and ends with that. So he's like, hey, look, you're worshiping creation. I am the creator. So he's making that clear. That's important. Um, so anyhow, so I'm going to read, um, and uh, we're going to spend most of our time in the middle of this where it talks about idolatry to get a better sense. Um, of what it is. So first off, but I'm uh, sorry, I, can anyone really see this? You know, all right, sorry. Um, okay, so, but now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my, uh, pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hands, the Lord's. And the name himself, the name himself on the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, for be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not of any. 
So God is like bold here. He is he is he is proclaiming like I am God. Like I am the only God. There is no other God. I'm the only one who can redeem. I'm the only one who can heal. I'm the only one who knows the future and can predict it. I'm the only one who can restore. I'm the only one who can provide. I am generous. I am good. I can and will do all these things. Okay? So he is, you know, he that one of the things I'll come back to again and again, this is a Zach Hicksism, is you worship your way out of idolatry. Um, you don't just uh, you don't just like turn away from idols, you turn to God. You're expecting an idol to perform something for you that only God can perform. And so God is reminding them of who he is, how he loves them, how he provides for them, how powerful he is, how he made them, how dear they are to him. And so that, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a critical thing in the text. Okay, so now it goes into this section about idols. And it's going to be this illustration of a person actually forming, uh, a forming an idol, forming, forming like you know, a wooden figurine um, by their hands. So he says, uh, all who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know what they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. Okay, so the first thing here he says is that an idol is of no value. It's not profitable. And so the second that we, ha- we take something that is good uh, and, and start to regard it and think of it as something that is God, it actually starts to harm us. It, you know, it starts to, um, uh, you know, it starts to actually be destructive in our life. So an example of that would be sex, like sex is a good thing. But when a person starts to becomes an idol or becomes an addiction, which addiction is just an intense form of idolatry, then it becomes really destructive. It becomes destructive in, in relationships and in marriages and outside of marriages and so on and so forth. So, so the first thing here is he's, he's kind of getting at is that when we shift from regarding something that's good as something that's God, uh, it loses its value. It's no longer a blessing and in fact it, it starts to harm us. Um, and two, it says, you know, it talks about fear. It talks about how they will be, um, how they will be terrified. And you know, it's interesting. Why is it that there's such uh, a relationship between anxiety and fear and idolatry? Well, let's think about this. Think about if God, like our God, Father of, of Jesus Christ, what if He just like didn't show up for work one day? You know, what if we found out that our God is actually unreliable? Or that his promises are 50-50. Um, you know, what if, what if we found out he doesn't actually love us unconditionally? <laughs> or that he doesn't actually know everything, he doesn't actually have all power? How would that make you feel? That'd be, a, that'd be an existential crisis for me, right? You know? Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, God continues to refer to himself as our rock. You know, he really is that one, one source of stability. We kind of forget that, but especially like when things go bad, when we have a disappointment, we have a tragedy, when we're, you know, thrown all out of whack, we we can always kind of bank on God, right? Okay, well, so with an idol, we are having the same level of dependence on that thing that we have with God, the same level of expectation with with that thing that we do with God. So, for example, let's take money as an idol. If if we really think that like money will solve our problems, that money will give us peace, 
money will give us happiness, whatever it is. And then like the, the stock market crashes or the real start make it market tanks. Well, this thing that we are expecting to function for us like God is now collapsing. And it makes sense that we would that we would be afraid because we are made to have expectation in a totally reliable, totally stable, um, 100% dependable God. And and we're kind of shifting or transferring that that uh, level of trust or that level of um, regard to something that's not stable. So it makes sense that it creates this this kind of fear and this instability in our lives. So. So anyhow, sorry, so the next part. So it says, uh, starting in verse 12, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak tree and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for man. He takes a part of it and warms it. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Okay, so notice that like the wood, which becomes his idol, the wood is good, right? The the wood, you know, is a blessing to him. It's uh, you know, it's. Uh, uh, structure for a home, it's warmth warmth in his house for a fire, it's the thing he uses to cook his food. Uh, so the wood is good. And so that's um, that's you know something to keep in mind is we can go like to the to the far end extreme and we think about our idols and think of everything as bad. It's, that's not the issue. Like the issue is that we something that we regard as good, we start to regard as ultimate. So continuing it says he also, also he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Okay. So it's funny, this seems really silly, right? This seems so silly, like, for crying out loud, buddy, like, you just took that wood and you, um, and you, you know, put it in fire and there it is, that's your front door. And meanwhile, you turn around and you, like, bow down before that piece of wood and you say, save me, you know, deliver me. Uh, and that seems so silly, but that, you know, um, but if we have, if we can be objective and take a step back, at the expectation that we have in things that are idolatrous for us, like in our objective sober moments, we can say, God, it's kind of our expectations of things are kind of silly too. Um, how silly is that? That you would think that like an academic degree, speaking of myself, that it would like solve all your issues with insecurity, right? You know, it's just that's just silly. That's not going to happen. We all know that's not going to happen. But, but we we just because of our sin nature, we tend to be deluded. Calvin calls us idol factories. You've probably heard that a thousand times. And it's just so natural for us to do that. And then notice, too, uh, how he he prays to the wood and he says, deliver me for you are my God. Okay, like, do you really think this piece of wood can deliver you? Like, it can save you from your sins. It can, it can promise you everlasting life. Like, that's really, really silly. Um, but that's the nature of idolatry, is expecting things that are of creation, 
to perform things for us that only only God can perform. Um, sorry, I, I left that. Let's see where are we at. Yeah. Yeah, let's go into the next slide. So looking at that, you know, this is where understanding the promises of God are very helpful for us. Knowing like what it is that pro- God promises to do for us through Christ. Um, knowing the benefits of our salvation. And so breaking down some of my, uh, some of my idols, I'm throwing a lot of skin in the game here today. Um, I'm, I want to just kind of look at like some of my idols and what I expect that they're going to perform for me that only God can perform. All right. So the first would be money. Um, I, you know, I, um, I'm just like any American man. I like worry about money all the time, right? And I can remember, um, and I had this idea. We all had this idea. So I know I'm not alone here. That like, oh, if I had this much money in the bank, uh, if I had the 529 full and I could pay for my kid's college, if I had this much in my 401k, if I had my mortgage paid off, uh, then, then like, like we would we would not worry about anything, right? Like it would be a life of pina coladas on you know in the front yard, um, that you know totally. And so I can remember um, I can remember say almost a decade ago having this idea that if I could make this much this much money, then like oh my gosh I would never worry about money ever again totally, right? Okay, so I now make about thirty five percent more than that number. And I worry about money just as much as ever before. And it's silly. Like, it's really, really stupid. Like, I've sat down with, like, one of my mentors on, on financial stuff. And he's like, why are you worrying? Like, wh- look, in terms of going through the way I'm provided for, by the way, the church really takes good care of me. Thank you, Church of the Advent. Praise the Lord. Um, but just other, other, other things that I'm fortunate in. And my mentor's like, why are you, why would you ever worry? Like, you're in gr- fine position. And yet... I, I mean, I'm not going to ask anyone to share hands, but especially this is true of men. Like every day you're like, you're, there's one anxious thought about money. There's one anxious thought about paying for your kid's college or am I going to have enough for retirement or gosh, if we could just pay off that home equity line, whatever it is. Um, and, so, and so I think that money will give me peace. I think money will give me peace. And in reality, like I only have peace financially when I'm like, you know what? The Lord is my provider, and if God calls my kids to go to this school, then He's going to provide for it. If God calls my kid to go to that school, He's going to provide for it. You know, like, uh, you know, in, in retirement, like, it's going to work out. Like, the Lord is my provider, and when I remember that God provides for me, and that only God can give me peace, then I'm at peace with it, and I'm not worrying about it. But because of my sin nature, I go back to worrying all the time. Okay, next one. Again, Cameron. Uh, this is like Cameron's confession time. Academic success, academic degrees, all that kind of stuff. The expectation I had as a high school kid was that if I could get into that college, then like all my issues of insecurity would be gone. And so what we're really talking about is this, this need that we have to feel like we're enough, to feel like we're, we're worthy, to feel like we're lovable. Uh, and that's just the Christian word for justification. Justification is when a person comes into relationship with Christ and they ask God for forgiveness through Christ, God wipes away all their sins, and God then makes them as righteous as Christ. And that makes you enough to be loved by a perfect holy God. And so only God can justify us. Like, you know, it, it's, it's never, no matter what your idol is of thinking, the, uh, your idol of justification is, you may think that if you can get to a certain weight, 
or if you can uh, you know, get to a certain place in your career, if you can get into a certain club or have a house in a certain place, then then you're going to have this sense of like, I'm enough. Like, I'm really worthy. I'm worthwhile. It will never happen until you know only Christ can justify you. Only Christ can give you this sense of like, I'm enough. Like, I'm worthy. I'm worthwhile. I don't need to do anything more to be lovable, to be acceptable, to be approvable. Like, I'm enough. Only through Christ. So these idols of justification, um, we have this expectation that they're going to do something for us through our performance that really only God can do. Okay, finally, this is so silly, uh, but Alabama football, yeah, yeah, it's still an idol, not as big as it used to be, not as blind as it used to be, but it's still an idol, and there is this thought, there is this thought as you go through a football season that, uh, you know, that like, if we win the national title, I'm going to be happy forever. I'm going to wake up every morning and, you know, and, it, and it's, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be happy, Right? And I will say, sorry, Lauren, and sorry, Lisa, I was really happy for about two weeks in, in January. But, um, but it, you know, it's like it all, you know, it all wears off. And so, so anyhow, my, my point in all this is to say, when you're thinking, oh, sorry, one other thing. Well, we'll get to that in a second. When you're thinking about your idols, the thing that is key is to consider what is it that I am expecting this idol to provide for me that only God can give me. Um, it could be it gives you peace. It could be it gives you joy. Could be that it gives you a sense uh, that you're enough, um, but you know you want to explore uh, what it is because we don't just want to say no to the idol. We want to turn around and we want to expect it and seek it from the Lord. We want to enjoy it and realize that we already have it from the Lord. So in turning away from uh, from you know academics as a as, as a way to justify, I want to turn and remember, oh, I am justified. Like I am enough. Christ has made me enough. He has forgiven my sins. He has wiped away all my inadequacies. He has made me righteous and worthy. And so that, that is how we turn from idols. Not, as that kick says, we worship our way out of idolatry. Not by just saying no to the idol, but instead saying yes to the Lord and receiving and enjoying how he actually does meet that need for us. All right, so going on, and, I, and that, that, that was the point I was going to make with this. Um, oh, sorry. What was the point I was going to make with this? Stick to your script, Cameron. Don't get off cue. Um, yeah, I think we covered that. Okay, cool. All right, so um, I'm going to move on and talk about idolatry diagnostics. Um, that's kind of a funny word. How much time we have? Okay, we're in good shape. So basically, you know, how is it that we identify idols in our life? And and so um, uh, with actually kind of for, with Gil Cracky and some other people, I've kind of asked around, and and this is kind of some questions that. Um, I think are indicative of when something is an idol in our life. So here's a question. What are situations where you reten- routinely tend to worry and experience fear? Um, where, you know, what are things you worry about all the time? Um, what are situations where you tend to feel angry? How is it that I know that Alabama football is an idol in my life? Because I have a totally irrational and disproportionate level of anxiety before games. And I am more prone to say profanity at the television uh, during an Alabama football game than in any context in my life. Okay, so I know that there is clearly there is clearly some idolatry going on there, right? Um, all right, so yeah, well, here I am. It's vulnerability moment. Um, okay, here's another. This here's another. Uh, this is this is good. If things were to go perfectly, what would your life look like in ten years? 
what are the first three to five things that come to mind when you hear the, that question? Conversely, if things were to go very poorly, what would your worst case scenario look like in 10 years? What are the first three to five things that come to mind? What you'll find is that your answers on those are going to be probably be very similar. So of course, like for me, it's like, oh, 10 years from now, it, you know, the first thing is like, I've won the lottery. You know? um, or the worst case scenario is I've, I've lost my job and you know, I've sold my house and we're living in a gutter somewhere. So that would tell me that money is probably an idol for me. Um, and so when we start to think about, you know, and by the way, it's not, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to give the idea that like having you know, dreams and desires and things like that are bad. I mean, that's, that's totally a fine thing. This is just a way to kind of get at what are things in our life that are ultimate that, that probably shouldn't be, that, that probably need to be brought down in perspective. Um, and then uh, finally, what are the things that are always on your mind or that you may tend to obsess over or think about excessively? Um, generally, you know, that's, a, that, that's also an indicator. So my point in this is to say, I have a little worksheet here. Uh, I think we ran out. But, uh, but basically, it's very helpful for you um, and being freed from idols to kind of know what your idols are because we always go back to them. Um, you know, like, so for me, a good example of that, so like success, like being great, that, that has always been an idol for me. And so being aware of that when I'm like preparing a lesson or when I'm working on something or writing something or preparing, there, there is always this, in, this intensity and this, uh, this kind of like stress that, um, that typically by default is involved. But then when I say, oh, wait a minute, okay, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably approaching this from an idolatrous mindset of thinking like I, you have to, like success, greatness, like that will justify you. When I'm aware of that, I can be like, no, that's not true. You know, you don't, you, this is, you don't have to be great. You know, that's, being, being successful is not going to make you any more, you know, secure or justified than anything else in your life. And when I can repent from that, I'm able to actually do stuff without all this, all this stress with, without so much being tied up in it. Um, so that's why it's helpful to know what your idols are. It's, it's helpful as a parent because uh, you can be, uh, you can, you know, kind of be sensitive to that uh, in, in the way that, you know, you talk about things or regard things with your kids or that you project things on your kids. That's what the next two lessons are going to be about, how we tend to make idols out of our kids. And so, you know, it, it could be that, um, you know, you, your child is an idol and, you know, you, you, you feel like your child's good behavior justifies you as a parent. So in that way, you are expecting your child to, you know, to justify in a way that only God can. Um, you know, or, you know, your child being a rock star, uh, you think that you vicariously live through that. Your child is the star athlete. Your child is, you know, the one who gets the awards on awards day. And there's this subtle, vicarious sense of like, ha, ah, that makes me look like a rock star. Um, and so anyhow, that's what we're going to talk about next time. So I'm not going to steal your thunder, Marilyn and Carolyn. Um, let's see here. We worship and trust around of idolatry. Okay, common culture, cultural idols. I just say this, um, I say this because if, if, uh, if you have cultural idols, then we can be even more blind to that because we all have them. And in fact, in the culture, we even regard them as, we, we kind of worship them collectively in the, in the culture. So, I mean, obviously, in American culture, money is a huge idol. Um, it's a huge idol. And um, 
No, I don't really need to get into that. We all kind of know that. It's, you know, we, we just have this expectation that money will solve all our problems or that money might even, you know, give us a sense of, of like justification. That, oh, I make this much. So that means that, you know, I'm enough as a result of that. Um, and that's, again, you know, uh, money is a good thing. It's a blessing. And, and when, you know, we're blessed financially, praise the Lord. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's a matter of our heart. It's a matter of when are we turning that from something that's good into something that's ultimate. Um, I would say a big one, and that this is particularly true in like suburban areas, success is a huge idol. Like being the best, being great. Um, I come by it honestly. So um, in terms of that being a huge idol in my life. But, you know, and this is, I would say this one is, I would say for families, is one to be particularly aware of. Uh, and I want to say this sensitively. I don't want anybody to feel judged here. But I think that a lot of, um, I feel like in the, in, in the pursuit of success as an idol, I think families sacrifice a lot. Um, sacrifice a ton, whether it's, you know, athletic success and, and, uh, and families are, you know, totally disintegrated because... It's to the personal trainer and, uh, you know, and, and the tournaments on the weekend and all this money and summers are obliterated because, you know, if you miss, if you miss a football practice, then you'll be, you literally will be sentenced to the bench forever. Um, and, and I, and I, 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 I know it's more complicated than that because for, that's not to say like, oh, if my child's involved in travel volleyball, then this is an idol. I'm not saying that at all because I know for a lot of families, it's like, a phenomenal thing for their family. It's great for the relationship between the parent and the child. It's a great piece of belonging for their child. There's a, maybe there's a coach who's a great influence. They have a really good group of nurturing friends. So it's it, there's not like some cookie cutter formula. We don't want to be uh, we don't want to oversimplify things, but it is something to be aware of. Like it's something to be aware of of like um, you know how much we maybe sacrificed. And, and keep in mind, you bring sacrifices to a god. Like that's part of idolatry. Um, but how much we sacrifice uh, when sometimes maybe what we're what the the, the nature of that activity is idolatrous. Um, you know, it, it it may not be worth it to have a standing tutor every week for your child to get an A versus a B or a C. Maybe maybe a B or a C is okay, and your child gets to eat dinner with you each you know uh, that that night or whatever. Anyhow, I'm gonna stop there. All right, and then finally, I would say status, and and I'm not thinking, I'm not, I'm talking about status more as things in the culture that make us feel like we're enough. Um, whether that status is, um, whether that status is like my child made this team, or my child is a national merit finalist, or um, my child is a starter, or um, we vacation here, or whatever it may be. Um, it's 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 we I think in this culture uh, there tends to be an expectation that certain things justify us, certain things make us enough, and so um, again it's like uh, there can be a lot sacrificed in the name of that, and so I'll, I just throw these things out there for you to pray about and for you to examine um, and to see where you know where. Um, where idols maybe neg- negatively affect your family, I mean, where you may forfeit uh, forfeit grace that could be yours in Christ. Um, so anyhow, that is uh, that is all I have, I think. Oh, and here's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. That. <laughs> Let's end on a good note. Yeah. The, then the note is is like 
anything that any idol we perceive any idol can provide for us, like God can and already has provided for us through Christ. You know, this need to be enough. Like you're, every single one, if you're in Christ, you're enough. You're enough. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's, it doesn't mean a. You don't need anything. Anything more. Not another promotion. Not another degree. Not another credential. Not another membership. Like you're enough in Christ. That God has provided that for you. If you are anxious and you think that that something that you can accomplish or attain in the world will give you peace, I'll tell you it won't. You can that that ship has already sailed. Uh, and Christ can give you peace here and now, um, knowing that He uh, you are loved perfectly, you are provided for perfectly, you're a child of God. So that's the hope. The hope is that um, it, we're, we, you know what we think we're giving up or what we're losing when we turn away from an idol, we're actually going to receive richly and tenfold in Christ. So that's the important slide at the end. But yeah. Do you have any uh, questions? What time is it? Oh, we have three minutes. How about that? I never finish on time. Um, questions? Comments? Yes. Uh, when John Bernay Ramsey was killed, the media made a big thing of the mother expected success from that little girl right from the beginning. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, there was there was. And she was successful, but it was all the push of the mother. Yeah, good word. That's a really good word, Vanner. Thanks for sharing that. Anyone else? All right, great. I'll I'll uh, pray pray for you. Uh, next week is going to be on. Um, next going to be uh, our kids as idols, and it's going to be about people who are wiser and smarter than me. So I highly recommend those classes. All right, Jesus, uh, thank you um, that you promised to be our our provider. And um, Father, I pray for all of us. We, we all kind of need to be awakened um, in our hearts to um, to where we take things that you've blessed, blessed us with and we uh, turn them into ultimate things. And I uh, pray you give us freedom and pray, Lord, that, you, that we would know your forgiveness and acceptance through Christ in that, Lord. You, you know that we're, you know that we're flawed and that we um, tend to go back to the, to the same, same issues. And uh, if you didn't know that, you wouldn't have come and died for us, but you did. And so, uh, convict our hearts through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.